Longhorn Nation. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Texas is back, folks. Oh, yes. We're back. Welcome back to the Fire Steve Sarkeesian podcast, the definitive overreactionary Texas Longhorns football fan podcast. We're a bit late with this, but fall camp is finally back underway, which means college football is right around the corner. At time of recording, we're just under three weeks away from week zero. Shout out to that, uh, that just absolutely thrilling 11 a.m. game between Nebraska and Illinois to start the year. And less than four weeks away from Texas kicking off its season in the season opener against Louisiana at DKR. My name is Josh. I am joined by my good friend Noah, as usual. And today we're talking about the season ahead for Texas. Noah, we're almost there. What What are you looking forward to the most about what might prove to be Texas's final Big 12 season? This should be pretty obvious for everyone, but I'm just really looking forward to being welcomed back to to the fire steve sarkeesian podcast on a weekly basis now because it's been a long time since uh since we've gotten the read off but you know i'm happy to be back i'm happy just to have football i think i'm just happy for the freshness of it if i'm being completely honest because you know the last two years have kind of been a slog through the you know the later half of the tom herman era a lot of times it felt really frustrating because we knew what we wanted to see and we kind of knew what we were probably going to see second half of 2019 especially it's like okay we have kansas we should blow them out, but somehow this is going to be a three-point game in the final two minutes. So I think that just kind of some of the intrigue and the mystery around it is something we haven't had since, well, last year we had the new coordinators and everything. I don't know. <laughs> you get what I'm saying, though, here, right, Josh? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have a whole new staff. You finally have Sam Ellinger leaving. So you've got a new quarterback for sure for the first time, basically since Herman's first year. And even then, we all went into the Herman's first year, assuming Shane Bouchelle would be the starting quarterback uh, in 2018. And then Sam Ellinger came on a little bit unexpectedly, uh, depending on who you talk to. But yeah, a lot more intrigue than usual, uh, a lot more excitement. I think just general fan perception of the person that Steve Sarkeesian is also helps it a lot. People really got tired of Tom Herman's sort of robotic shtick. So having having someone seem a little more genuine, I think has helped keep the interest through fall camp and even through what has been a uh, rough period for recruiting lately. But with that, we'll, we'll sort of talk about some of what those intriguing points are. Obviously, you already mentioned, or I mentioned, the, the quarterback change. Uh, we've, we've got a big quarterback battle heading into fall camp. So It'll be interesting to see who Steve Sarkeesian chooses, but let, let's make some predictions. Who do you think the starting quarterback is on week one against Louisiana? Who are we watching take the field for the first offensive snaps for Texas? I have Casey Thompson as a very slight favorite. Either they legitimately are having a very close battle or Steve Sarkeesian really has his ducks lined up in a row and everybody in that department is doing a really good job beating the whole it's a close battle narrative to all their sources you know because there haven't been a whole lot of leaks either way um so and whenever that's the case i think that you kind of have to go with the guy that has the experience and who's older you know to me that's casey he showed in very limited time of course but like he's actually shown on a football field that he can throw the ball um on a collegiate football field so that's where i'm at but i i mean i'll support either guy i'm excited for both i think they're both good. I expect good things from whoever the starter is. Yeah, absolutely. No matter what, I think 
the end result is that whoever takes the field, we're we're gonna feel like really earned it. They've they've got a battle with someone that we don't lack for confidence in, even if Hudson Card is a bit of an unknown with all of his snaps being sort of garbage time and not really getting the chance to show off his arm too much. Uh, but everything coming out of practice is that it is a, a legitimate two horse race. Uh, not because we're hoping one guy finally shows something, but rather because we've got two guys that Steve Sarkeesian and the offensive staff, uh, as well as the players based on what Joshua Moore has said in some of the interviews during fall camp, everyone's, everyone's got confidence in either guy. You just need someone to show that, that little fraction of difference. And I think you're right. I, I think it does come down to, Who's the guy with the experience? Casey Thompson is the only one of the two that has taken meaningful live game reps. Uh, the Alamo Bowl was not blowout time. Even though a game ended in the blowout, that's because of how well Casey Thompson played in that second half. It was a, what was it, three-point game, seven-point game going into halftime. So that, that wasn't one where he walked in and just handed the ball off. I mean, he had to run that offense and be aggressive and, and play with like he's got something to lose because he he still did. And he showed out, admittedly, against Colorado. Not exactly a powerhouse team or a crazy good defense, especially when you had guys like Calvante Dixon. Backup linebackers. Getting covered by <laughs> linebackers. I mean, it, it's hard to get a, a great read on it. But what we saw out of Casey Thompson was a lot of that mobility, still a lot of arm talent, a lot of leadership, uh, and a willingness to be aggressive with the ball. And I think that's a lot of what Steve Sarkeesian is looking for, even though the sort of general consensus is that Hudson card has the the better arm of the two. I think we've seen more than enough from Casey to where Sark will feel confident even, even without that little bit of arm talent difference. I'm glad you brought it up the whole like natural arm, because I just, I don't know from what I've seen from Casey, even going back to the, his very first spring spring game as a true freshman. Like I remember watching him throw the ball. I mean, he, he can sling it. So, there's so many people behind the scenes talking about Hudson Carr's like natural ability as a passer. So there, there must be something to it. Uh, and it might just be that like Casey really puts a lot of zip on all of his throws. Like maybe something there's mechanical, but like, I remember from way back then, uh, I guess that would have been summer of 2018. Just, he puts a lot of spin on it and it's never looked like a bad ball. The, the only concern at any point has been whether he can have touch on it. But then you look at how he played in the Colorado game, and he put touch on several of his throws there. Um, so to me, like in terms of evaluating Casey's arm talent, at least in terms of is it good enough to be a quality starter in college, the question was always, is he going to be able to take off when he needs to? And it seems like he can. But yeah, and then you also, you know, you look at the spring game, Casey got all the run with the ones. Uh, he took all the snaps with the starting offense around him. Um, and in some ways, maybe that was a like a, sark message like hey this is your job to lose let me see what you got maybe it was him challenging card like i want to see how you operate whenever you're in the thick of it um who knows what was going through his mind but that is kind of one other thing that may or may not be a significant data point and as a reminder hudson card's team did end up winning that spring game so let's not to let's not put too much weight Ooh. on who ran with the ones <laughs> when they didn't Ooh. even win the game at the end yeah what was casey doing clearly just not very good if he lost the spring game. Yeah, it seems like he sucks. Um, another another spot that's got some intrigue, even with a good number of returning starters, uh, is going to be the offensive line. Uh, obviously, uh, Sam Cosme is gone, so you don't have him back at left tackle to keep things going. 
but you have Jake Majors, who played center in the later part of last year, uh, played a bunch uh, of, in those final few games, looked pretty good while he was at it. You've got Derek Kerstetter returning from injury. You've got Christian Jones, who played a lot of right tackle last year. Uh, you've got um, Andre Carrick, who played a lot of left tackle to end the year, much like Jake Majors did. Uh, you have Junior Angelau, plays has played a bunch of interior line uh, over the past two years at Texas. So it'll be interesting, I think, to see what Kyle Flood does along that offensive line, because there have been every... Every insider seems to have his own version of what he thinks the the final starting offensive line is going to look like. Mm-hmm. Right, and you got—I mean, you got your two tackle spots nailed down. I think pretty much. Um, would you agree with that? I don't know. You tell me what you think they are, and I'll tell you if I th- if I agree. I think it's Christian Jones, Derek Kerstetter. Uh, so you got your bookends there, and then the rest is kind of which big bodies do you want to throw at each of the other three spots um, with the major decision. Uh, which I don't know, maybe or I think it's possible there's not actually that much of a decision that has to be made, but the whole Jake Majors versus Angulao battle at center, um, which might just be a Kyle Flood preference thing, but you know, it was assumed that it would be Majors, but now hey, maybe it's Angulao. Uh so that's kind of the big twist that could send things in one direction or another. Yeah. If if it ends up being Angulao, I think uh there will be a lot of people having a lot of confusion about what Kyle Flood is doing the second there's one errant snap that isn't perfectly on the money. Everyone's going to be questioning that. But yeah, I, I do think it's going to probably be Jones and Kerstetter. I certainly am not counting out Carrick with nearly a month to go uh, before we're actually playing. Carrick has plenty of time to find his way onto the field, especially if one of those two guys gets hurt and get a little dinged up and fall camp, knock on wood that that doesn't happen. But it, there is potential for that to happen. Um, and I think it's a, a, a situation that we can be happy with. We saw Carrick play left tackle in those final handful of games last year and looked good doing it. So I don't think there's I, – I, I wouldn't be concerned if Carrick ends up losing that battle, though I would be interested to see the steps forward that Christian Jones has taken given that at times last year playing right tackle, he looked a little iffy. Yeah, and it's I think that maybe the reason that I just don't put as much stock into – Carrick at left tackle is that Christian Jones was a starter last year and he's really your prototypical left tackle. Like he, he's got what you're looking for. He's got the size for it. He's got the height for it. He's got the length for it. Um, he has, you know, he has a soccer background. He's got the quickness. That was his entire thing. Whenever he was kind of a late take in that initial Tom Herman signing class was, uh, this is a guy that hasn't played a whole lot of football, uh, but he has a soccer background. He's really quick. He's got the feet. Uh, let's, sign him and then grow him into what we need and now he's he's grown and like you said last year he struggled at times uh and so i think that was the big concern was like his technique and his ability to really play the position but he looked a lot better in the spring game um my take or i guess my impression is that kyle flood's coaching has really helped him take that next step if that's true then it's not that much of a battle right it's their training character they want character to be ready you always want to have eight or nine guys ready to go um, but if Christian Jones did take that next step, I don't see how Carrick wins the spot. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, unless he's just really good, maybe, right. maybe Carrick is just really I good. I mean, you, you think about it, uh, the, the coaching difference you're going to get from Kyle flood, as opposed to Herb hand is definitely going to be 
significant and should have a significant impact on the development of a lot of these guys. So, yeah, I think it's uh, Christian Jones and, and Derek Kerstetter I could definitely see. And then, yeah, you've got Carrick being your first guy off the bench to play one of those tackle spots. Uh, with that battle with Angelau and Majors at center, you've obviously got the obvious backup center, no matter what happens there. And then the interior offensive line, at least from early reports, it sounds like the staff feels relatively confident in Angelau, in Denzel Okafor, and also Tope Amade's name has popped in there as someone who could see starts depending on how the rest of the line shakes out. Yeah, Tope's going on that BYU 25-year-old lineup against 18-year-old route. Absolutely, uh, he's going to dominate. Yeah, you know, Angela was the one that we thought would be taking his mission before coming back to uh, to grow into the, the spot. But uh, no, and, you know, I part of the reason that I think that Majors should be the favorite at the center spot is because, uh, you know, I think Angela is good and you want him playing at one of those guard spots. Um, but again, I think that that's kind of more of a flood philosophy thing where it's like if he wants this big mauling line, then majors doesn't fit that uh i think i've been more vocal than most about the fact that majors has definite weaknesses and his size and strength are among those uh he's going to be in the backfield you know two plus yards on 20 percent of the snaps he takes and so if that's not an acceptable trade-off for his ability to get upfield and uh, do combo blocks you know get around on reach blocks then yeah, Flood isn't going to play him if that's not a trade-off that fits in with the type of offense and run game that he and Sark want to run. Um, so that'll be just a really interesting situation to monitor. And I also think that that'll give you a lot of insight as to how uh, they're wanting to really use Bijan. We saw him really explode at the end of last year with that outside zone game. Uh, most of these guys have been focused on the zone running game under Herman and Herb Hand, but you know, if we're going to move to more of a power power run, then that's probably where we'll see Angulo. Absolutely. And and just just for the sake of argument, you're talking about the, the size difference, uh, at least according to the most recent roster update on the Texas football website. Uh, Jake Majors is only nine pounds lighter than Junior Angulo. However, three inches shorter. Let me tell you, every pound matters. Okay, Josh, football is a game of... In- no, I'm being kind of sarcastic. But, it, I mean... You're not wrong, but the power difference, maybe I should clarify, it's the power and strength more than just weight, since we're going to be pedantic about it. Yeah, absolutely. If I can't (laughs) be pedantic, I don't really see what the point of the podcast is. (laughs) I mean, if you didn't do it, someone in the Twitter was. Exactly. So the other area where I think we've got some intrigue, and admittedly we're ending up sticking to one side of the ball uh, with almost exclusively with the offense here, is going to be the wide receiver room. Obviously, you've got Troy O'Meary who lit it up in fall camp last year, ends up getting hurt, doesn't see a snap last year. You've got Xavier Worthy, who is getting rave reviews from everyone who like can possibly think of his name. Can't stop talking about how, how well he's performing in his first fall camp. We, you obviously know Joshua Moore, uh, what that next step could be that he takes uh, in, a, in a more wide-open offense, one that isn't Mike Yersich's offense, where it's either run deep or don't get the ball at all. You've obviously got Jordan Whittington. You've got Kelvante Dixon, two guys that we know what they can do. You've got Alvante Woodard. You've got uh, Marcus Washington. There's a lot of names that can pop up, and I think based on how Alabama played last year with Steve Sarkeesian as the offensive coordinator, I think you're going to see 
three or four guys be part of the main rotation, but I think a lot of those guys are going to get legitimate touches in game. So I guess if you had to pick two outside receivers, one inside receiver, who are you expecting those guys to be right now, Noah? Joshua Moore, Jordan Whittington, and... Jordan Whittington, <laughs> uh, which I mean, like I'm kind of joking here, but I think that we're going to see a lot of 12 and 21 personnel. Um, so it wouldn't surprise me if more often than not, we only have two receivers on the field at the same time. Mm-hmm. If you look back at Sark last year, he ran a lot of 12, even with his, uh, even with all of his, you know, all the talent at wide receiver they had. They had a more talented wide receiver room, and yet Jaleel Billingsley still carved out quite a role for himself as that second tight end that can really. Uh, kind of slotted in as a receiver and he's got some guys like that here in Braden Liberock and maybe Cade Brewer if I don't know reports that he's more like his freshman self uh and then also Jatavian Sanders coming in I think all those guys have a chance to be receiving threats in that you know in a two tight end set and before someone freaks out uh listening to this uh, don't forget Jared Wiley as well who you just conveniently did not include in your list of tight end guys yeah, because I'm talking about a guy that could be that second tight end. Um, so uh, Jared Wiley was my assumed first uh, tight end there. Oh, I guess. Uh, yeah, and maybe, guess, maybe Cade Brewer is the assumed first and Jared Wiley should be the second. But point being, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think that there's a – I think we'll see a lot of those guys. Um, and so I think that the two that I can really definitively say are going to play a large role in the offense are Jordan Whittington and uh, Joshua Moore. Absolutely. And I think – it won't take too long for if Xavier worthy is everything that he's getting hyped up to be in fall camp. It won't take long before he starts seeing significant play as we get deeper into the season. But I think early on, especially you're going to see a lot more of those guys who have been maybe not part of Sark's wide receiver rooms, but have been in college longer are a little bit more familiar with the game. And especially when it comes down to stuff like blocking those finer points of playing wide receiver, uh, those things could be, uh, very valuable and will probably be the, the thing that gets seniority uh, to be the, the driving factor, especially in those early games. So with that, let's jump into the actual season preview. Just spend a couple minutes on each opponent. Uh, maybe not call out wins or losses because obviously they're all wins, but um, go through sort of opponent by opponent, sort of what our expectations are for the game. Uh, and we'll, we'll start off with the home opener, the season opener against Louisiana returning a ton of people uh upset Iowa State last year finished in the top 25 uh and I believe ESPN has them in the top 25 at least to open the season so a a game that wasn't supposed to be this difficult when we originally scheduled it that's for sure yeah sometimes that's the way the cookie crumbles as you uh you know you schedule a cupcake and you end up with I don't I don't know what's a bad version of cupcake are there bad cupcakes I don't know. There's probably shitty muffins. A mint cupcake. <laughs> I mean, there's probably there's the mint. The mint like cupcake mint, people so. are probably pissed right now. Yeah, I know the three people out there that like mint cupcakes. But uh, yeah, they're it's they're a quality football team. Um, you know, I'm still taking Texas in that, but they have an old squad. They're returning what like 21 of their starters or something like that. They have the highest production, like returning production in the country. Uh, they won the conference last year. So, um, and you know, they have a, a coach in Billy Napier who's getting tons of look and is supposed to be the next big G5 coach to be hired into the ranks of a big P5 school. Um, so there's a lot 
that's scary about them, but getting them on their home turf. And the thing that kind of gets lost in this narrative of Louisiana being a really good football team is that their run defense wasn't very good last year. So, you know, as a team featuring Bijan Robinson, and uh, we'll get to some hot takes uh, later, I have high expectations for our offensive line. I'll just put it that way. Yeah, I think that we'll be able to run it and wear them down and uh, take the dub at home. Yeah, hopefully see a lot of that three-headed monster, see Bijan go go off. And the, only, the reason he only gets 15 to 16 carries or 15 to 16 touches is just because by then it's so out of reach that Roshan Johnson and Kylan Robinson – they're they're the ones who are getting the the run the the second half of that game so yeah i i think mm-hmm. the the poorest run defense that louisiana had last year i think this is a good opportunity for Bijan to show hey i i didn't finish the year um on some fluke games like let, let's keep it going here's another big uh reminder that i'm still here i'm i'm serious about being a contender and and a, hopefully a household name before the end of the year uh, second game, another one not too easy. Uh, could be sort of the matinee show for future SEC schedules for Texas. Uh, but heading to Vietnam, going to go see the Arkansas Razorbacks sort of reigniting an ancient rivalry uh, with the Hogs. So obviously we got Sam Pittman in his second year. Uh, I think there's a lot to prove. I think people thought that Arkansas was getting better throughout last year. But there's... Still a lot of question marks around them. I think they're still expected to be one of the last place teams in the SEC West. Uh, but there's also a lot of people who kind of consider them their dark horse. So what are your thoughts? I So I don't know enough about Arkansas to like really put like a, a label on their team or a prediction on their team next year. But Arkansas is not the type of program that has, that typically has like a two-year rebuild, right? You don't go from being trash to being amazing in two years uh, because even though they used to be not not a blue blood, but, you know, they were a significant program for a really long time. Um, even as recently, like the 2000s, they were really good. Um, so I, I just don't think that they're in that place anymore. I see them almost more like a Nebraska. Uh, so all that just to say, it's not an easy rebuild for Pittman. He didn't have the level of talent that Sark has now as he's taking over, um, there should be a significant advantage for Texas in that department. Um, so, you know, I don't, have they announced the kickoff time for that yet? I believe that one's a midday game. I think that one's like a three 30 or something. Well, yeah. So you never know how the home crowd factors in day versus night game, but, um, you know, I'm hoping that we don't have a whole lot of trouble, but you just, you know, college football rivalry games are always weird. Um, or at least they always have the potential to be weird. So, yeah, I don't think that anybody can definitively say we're going to run away with it, but I also think that we should be confident going in. My mistake, um, that's actually a 6 p.m. kick. So 6 p.m., okay. Well, then that'll be it'll be interesting. I'm going to be at that game, actually. Prime time on ESPN, so, uh, <laughs> no less. So I, I've heard rumblings yeah. of this being a potential college game day pick, which would be odd. I believe Ohio State plays Oregon that week, so I doubt that that's the case, but... That is going to be a game yeah. that's on Fox and not ESPN. So who knows? They might they might pick right. Their and that was going to be SEC a thing. babies. Who knows? Yep. If it's a Fox game, then they might want to stay away from that since you know ESPN has built the Death Star and Evil Empire now <laughs> with the SEC stuff. So yeah, they might not want to do game day for other networks much moving forward. Yeah, 
after that, we got the probably the most sure win on Texas's schedule. Uh, got the Rice Owls coming to Austin. I think what everyone is really going to be looking forward to most about this game is all of the jokes that the Rice band will make at halftime when they get a chance to perform, if we allow them to. And by God, I hope we do. Yeah, the, it'll be... <laughs> I mean, that should be funny. I They have high expectations to live up to, so um, we'll see how that goes. But I'm also looking forward to hearing about the JFK speech for 100 times, which, um, you know, two years ago when we played him, it was actually really cool. I'd never heard that story before. Um, now that I have heard it 100 times in the last two years, all hundred of those times occurring two years ago. Uh, <laughs> I don't know if it'll be as cool or if it'll just be like the a Charlie Brewer. Hey, did you know he didn't get a scholarship to Texas type storyline? Um, but you know, it's nice to get in an easy win sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. Especially cause rice isn't uh, of all of our Southwest conference, former rivals. I think rice is the one that most Texas fans would hold the least like ill will towards. So, you you, you kind of like them. You, you like having them around. But, yeah, certainly not going to be a difficult game for Texas, uh, to put that in perspective. The 2019 team, which was obviously a huge letdown of a team after all the expectations coming out of 2018, blew the doors off Rice down in Houston. So uh, bring that game back home. Uh, I don't think there's any any reason to expect that that game will be even close. Yeah, and they still have the same head coach, I believe. So uh, it'll be interesting to see some eye formation. <laughs> <laughs> in college football <laughs> even as they're down four touchdowns uh yeah that'll be cool yeah uh another game the the next game uh, we'll stay at home back-to-back weeks uh we will welcome the surely going to be very salty thanks to basketball texas tech red raiders um they will be in town thankfully that game won't be in lubbock so they won't get to be nearly as battery throwy as they could be uh but I think Tech in general, I think expectations for Tech are pretty low this year. So I don't know how afraid of this team I am. Then again, I would have said that last year, and then we almost managed to screw it up if it wasn't for Sam Ellinger playing hero ball. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of funny because I feel like Texas Tech fans are somehow just way more depressed about their program than the rest of the country. Because I'm I'm kind of on that line where just going in, like a game against Texas Tech, even if they're a bad team, you know, yeah, we should win, but uh, maybe they'll make it close. Maybe they'll make it interesting. But I think if you ask any Texas Tech fan, they're just really not very optimistic about their chances and just expecting to be blown out. Um, but right, yeah, the Chris Beard factor will be kind of funny. Yeah, that that angle he might be up in McConaughey's suite. I think they're going to need to swing that somehow. That that <laughs> get him up on the jumbotron. That will definitely be the angle after the Rice game beats us to death with the the moon speech. It will definitely be all about Chris Beard that weekend on TV. I'm sure of it. Uh, the following week, head up to Fort Worth, your neck of the woods there. Uh, Texas will play at TCU, uh, a, a team that, despite everything, has been an absolute thorn in our side. I, I don't know if it's just the color purple, if Bill Snyder, uh, those last few years, just transferred all his powers over to Gary Patterson, but games that Texas should have won handily the Horned Frogs are always a problem for Texas. Over the last nine years since they joined the conference, uh, two and seven, Texas is over TCU. So I, I'm not really sure what to expect. If that was just a Tom Herman and Charlie Strong thing, or 
if that's going to be a continuing theme with Steve Sarkeesian. No, we're we're going to lose to TCU. <laughs> <laughs> I, I refuse to get any more hope beyond that. I've been to the last two games in Fort Worth. I had hope both of those times. All, all I all I know is Max Duggan is going to look like a full on Heisman candidate. He he looks like garbage the week before and the week after, but against us, he looks like a world beater. I mean, he's going to like have some just really disgusting stiff arm on overshown on his game winning touchdown run. It's it's I don't know. Okay, I, I don't know how, but this game is going to break my heart. And even as much as I don't want to, given past bad experiences watching Texas football in that stadium, I'm probably going to go to the game since it's like 20 minutes from me. I'm ready to be heard again. Yeah, I think that's about where we all are. I, I am indeed ready to be heard again. Yeah, I, I mean, I have low expectations for that game. That's That game is just designed to be a real kick to the dick, especially considering the following week we'll stay in the Metroplex and head over to the Cotton Bowl, the annual Red River shootout against Oklahoma. Obviously, Tom Herman, even though he only beat OU once, was always close, at least on the scoreboard, even though the last couple of years have felt like blowouts. We only ended up losing by possession in each of those games. So I, I think this one, the the intrigue, more than how well Steve Sarkeesian's offense runs against Alex Grinch's OU defense, it's going to be seeing how Pete Kwiatkowski's defense, which is, as Texas fans like to remind everyone, uh, one of the few teams that's been able to hold opponents under 30 points for like the last three years or something like that going up against arguably the nation's best offense for like the last eight years now in Oklahoma. I think this Mm -hmm. is the first monster test for Pete Kwiatkowski's defense. You're absolutely right on that. I did a kind of a brief film study on Kwiatkowski earlier in the off season and I watched a couple of games, and there just wasn't a whole lot that I saw from his Pac-12 matchups that feature an offense like Oklahoma's, like systems like Oklahoma's. There's not a whole lot of, um, I can't remember the term, but you know the guard tackle pools that Lincoln Riley loves to run every other play. I say that, just say it. there's no baseline expectation for me how that matchup goes. I think Kwiatkowski is a really smart guy and that he'll put together a solid game plan. Um but you're absolutely right in that that'll be a major test for our defense. Uh, we have a, a lot of guys with a lot of experience against Oklahoma now, but um, we haven't ever found that formula, at least not recently, against Riley to to really shut him down. So um, should be a good game. You know, OU will likely be in the top four headed into that game. Uh, we'll hopefully be top fifteen, maybe top ten. Um, if we win our if we win all our other games, we'll probably be top fifteen at least. So, yeah, that's it'll be the first time since 2018 that the game should be competitive. Well, I guess, I don't know. 2019, we went in with a ranking, right? I don't know. We had losses going into the game is what I'm trying to get at um, every year under Herman. We'll just have to kind of wait and see how that, those early season matchups go to see what level of hype there is. Because we know OU's going to show up. We know they're going to be good this year. This is their year for a national title run. Um, so it's all about what we can put together in the first five weeks of the season. But Spencer Rattler does suck. Just throwing that out there. I am not a believer in Spencer Rattler at all. So we got him benched last year. Don't suddenly tell me that he's now a, a, an amazing quarterback. Does that mean if we don't get Spencer Rattler benched that uh, Kwiatkowski is better or worse than Chris Ash? Uh, I believe that's a fair conclusion. Yes. Okay. Transitive law of college football. Yeah. Um, it always works out well. Transitive property always applies in college football. 
Um, next game, keep it against the team from the uh, from the teams from Oklahoma, the meth the meth addled team. We will uh, come back home to Austin to face Oklahoma State, Mike Gundy. Hopefully for the last time. I'm tired of that mulleted man who apparently cut the mullet, but I'm sure by then it will have grown back. But <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll return from playing Oklahoma to face Oklahoma State. You have Spencer Sanders still there. You have most of that defense still intact. However, no Tyland Wallace, who has been just a fucking horror show for the Texas secondary every year that he was in college. And no Chuba Hubbard, though they do have a decent stable of running backs that played a lot last year behind him. So what, what what's the expectation there? Well, I think the expectation is a win, right? Uh, the Really, the expectation for every conference game should be uh, a win except for Oklahoma and Iowa state. Um, those are the two elite teams and I'll throw TCU in there just because of my own pessimism. Misery. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but yeah, we, you know, going into the bye week we're hoping to, to finish strong there and then have some rest and get ready for the second half of the season. Yeah. I, I think that's definitely a winnable game, especially coming off of the Oklahoma game. I don't like, I, I already stated that I'm not a believer in Spencer Rattler. I am, 3000% less of a believer in Spencer Sanders. Uh, everyone in the national media talks about like, well, if he puts it together, if he puts it together, and I feel like I've been hearing that for the last two or three years about Spencer Sanders. This is the year that it comes together. And it just never seems to, he's a turnover machine. He doesn't make good decisions with the ball. And it seems like Mike Gundy doesn't really encourage him to use his athleticism in a way that could really weaponize him. So I don't think he's as much of a threat the run game, as long as Kwiatkowski's defense holds up against the run, I think that's absolutely a winnable game for Texas. And I, I think it'll say more about Oklahoma State than it'll say about Texas on that one. Yeah, that's that's probably true. I I mean, I am more... I guess I'm a believer in Rattler. I, I don't know. I think he's really good. Uh, I don't think he's as good as like the next Mahomes or Trevor Lawrence or you know people that are saying he's automatically the number one pick. Although, he, I mean, he likely will be. But Spencer Sanders, even if he doesn't put it together, the thing that's scary about him is just athletic quarterbacks that are at least a threat in the air and that play with a competent offensive mind like Gundy are always just a little bit scary because you never know if Sanders is going to take off for 80 yards. And like you said, he loses a lot of the pieces around him that really elevated that offense. A lot of those, a lot of those threats that made you say we can't focus on Sanders because we need to focus on Wallace first. We need to focus on Hubba second. Hubba. Wait, Chubba. Yeah. <laughs> uh, sorry, I got the yeah the two names there mixed up a bit. But uh, yeah, so he's losing those. So, I mean, I guess this kind of agrees with you that it's now more on him to be the the first piece in that offense and really live up to um, the ability that he has flashed but hasn't really consistently delivered on. So after that, Texas gets its bye week, seven games into the season, a good little nearly mid-season break right there uh then you dive back in for the rest of the big 12 conference schedule with the first first game out of that bye week being the trip up to the land of shiplap the toilet seat uh at what is it mclean stadium up there in waco in baylor uh facing the bears dave aranda's second season i believe they hired the offensive coordinator from byu um, so I think a lot of that comes down to how much we find out was BYU's offense last year was because of Zach Wilson and how much was because of this offensive coordinator. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it should be interesting, I guess, but also kind of not if <laughs> if I'm being completely honest, because I just don't see Baylor as that good of a team. Um, they, I mean, to their credit, I I think that we still know that they'll be athletic. Uh, Matt Rule's teams always will be, and at this point, they're still working mostly with with rural recruits. Um, but you know, Dave Aranda's first year wasn't overly impressive. Um, and then even with an upgraded staff that at least does, I think shows some is a positive data point for, uh, Aranda that he was willing to make changes after one year. He wasn't sticking to his guns. Like some, <clears throat> some, uh, failed head coaches may have done in the past, right. uh, showing some flexibility there and an understanding to approve. But, uh, we hopefully last time we ever have to hear Baylor, we just run them out of their own stadium. Yeah, that'd be phenomenal for them, for us to send them out with a loss and then never see them again as they get relegated to the FCS like they should have been after 2016. So, yeah, it'll be nice. Uh, after that, be I think really the last one that Texas will really have circled on the calendar coming into the year. The trip up to Ames, Iowa, always spooky in Ames. And I feel like this will be pretty damn close to Halloween, so it'll be extra spooky in Ames, Iowa. Uh, to face Iowa State, Matt Campbell, obviously, two effectively last-second wins over two teams, two Texas teams that I think most would say were unimpressive, to say the least. So I I think this is another one that really will be a good yardstick for how much of a difference Sark has made in, in year one, is even at Tom Herman at his worst, was close to Iowa State at their historical greatest. So where does Sark measure up to a team that returns a ton of talent? Brees Hall's back. Brock Purdy's back. All 97 of their tight ends are back. So, yeah, I, this is this is a, a real yardstick type of game. Right. And, you know, that, that Malcolm Roach offsides on the, the game-winning field goal, that was, that was one of the games of the Herman era that really broke me somewhere deep inside. Um, so hopefully Sark can help put those pieces back together. And... I kind of said earlier that Iowa State was one of the two teams that we shouldn't go in expecting to win. Ames is a freaky place at night, which is really weird to say, but it's been true the last three years, and they're just a really good team. Um, I don't. It's weird to say that they're a really talented team because if you just look at the recruiting rankings and everything like that, they're not. We have an advantage, but they're absolutely well developed. They're well coached, and so I don't think it's wrong to say they're more talented than Texas because I, I don't want to get too off topic here about what talent is but um they've certainly shown more talent on the football field on a more consistent basis than we have in the last couple of years and yeah i i th- all i can i think all i can really say at this point before watching more of the season is that our run defense should be good you know we've got a really good interior of the defensive line uh Kwiatkowski gives a lot of offenses fits uh with his mix of um i guess the way he mixes up like his two four and his three three and um all the different stuff that he can do so in that way i think that we could be a good matchup but you know purdy can is still a pretty good quarterback um so i think that the big thing we'll need to watch for early on is just how is our offense going to be because if we go in with an elite offense then i think we feel a lot better about our chances but if we go in with just like a good and somewhat inconsistent offense then that's when we can really expect that iowa state defense to come in and give us a lot of trouble 
the next three games are probably a little bit easier. I think teams that are expected to finish in the bottom half of the Big 12. Uh, you've got Kansas in Austin. Obviously, that game has not been as easy as it should have been the last several years. Um, obviously, coming to a head in 2016. I think this is one, though, where Sark really proves things are different. We stop having these games where teams we should handily beat keep hanging around. I think this is one where Sark and Kwiatkowski put together the game plan to just throttle an obviously inferior opponent on paper. I would hope so. I have been hoping so. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I've heard good things about their new head coach, uh, but it's it's too quick. You can't turn that program around in an offseason. And so kind of all three of those games, I'm expecting to be able to put up some good numbers, uh, close out the season strong. You know, we can get into win-loss predictions, but it's one of those things where having the entire quarter, like last quarter of the season, be easy teams. And really, uh, I think teams that haven't given us as many problems because you could say that, like, I don't know, Tech is going to have a down year or Baylor, but those teams have actually given us recent problems. So it'll be good to have, like, a solid closeout to Sark's first year, I think. Because um, it's always nice to go into your first offseason after a head coach with something positive and saying, oh, look, we finished 3-0, we're building on something. Um, so all that just to preach patience. If we drop a couple games early on, um, you got to look at the schedule. you got to realize that, again, games that we're expecting to be easier are there at the end of the season for us to kind of build back into whatever. It, no matter what happens early in the season, we can hopefully finish it out strong. Yeah, I mean, you have that last third of the season you've got Iowa State to lead that off and even if you do take a gut punch there take the loss against a team that people expect to be good admittedly so not necessarily an embarrassing loss but you can certainly spin that into something very positive with Kansas at West Virginia and against Kansas State those are yeah absolutely all three winnable games especially on paper early in the season not seeing anything wild happening with those three teams it's it's something that can build momentum into bull season into the off season into recruiting i think there's definitely something to sell there so um for final record predictions uh if we wanted if you i know you've sort of hinted at your wins and losses throughout the year but what is your record prediction for the 2021 texas longhorns i oscillate a lot between like eight and four and nine and three um i'll go with nine and three and i'll go with nine and three purely because Seeing us at five and four going into that final stretch of three games is kind of hard for me to fathom, uh, but it's totally possible, and that's kind of like why I'm preaching patience. Like if we're if we're at five and four, something went really wrong, but that's not a disaster of a season. You could still close out nine four with a bull win. But yeah, give me nine and three. Nine and three. That's exactly what I was thinking as well. Um, I think the the losses come against the obvious ones, um, and as we sort of had our pessimism about TCU could be one of those situations. You come out of the Oklahoma game four and two, and then you just go on a six and one tear the rest of the year. And again, I, I think that all comes down to the a preaching patience and B building on something, taking momentum into next year. If you can go six and one over those last seven, I think things will be looking up um, in Austin for the Sark era, as long as you don't have too rough a start to uh, the, the campaign this year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Uh, for some other predictions, uh, not so much focused on specific games or anything like that, but like player award predictions, maybe some hot takes thrown in here for what, what to expect from this season, what to expect specifically from Texas rather than on a national scale. But um, what, do you, what do you have? Any national awards for the players? Any good hot takes that you're feeling? Well, I'll go with, I'll go with a hot take first. And maybe it's actually not that hot, but I don't think that... I don't know the best way to word it. Only one of Troy O'Meary and Xavier Worthy will be in our top five receivers this year. I don't expect both of them to be there. Basically what it boils down to for me is I think we'll see a lot more of 12 and 21. And I think that you can't trust these practice reports. Not that you can't trust them. Like people are reporting on what they see, but you know, that's not always how it plays out. I remember when Brecken Hager was this athletic beast that was primed for a huge senior season um, and when Malcolm Roach was a really good middle linebacker, totally, totally fit at that spot. So the chances that one of them does not live up to the hype that they got through no fault of their own is, is pretty high in my book, especially when you consider Amiri coming back from injury. Xavier Worthy is still pretty light. Uh, you know, conditioning is a big deal and guys wearing down in their first season is totally understandable, especially when you're a smaller guy. So yeah, that's kind of my hot take is that only one of them is really going to be a significant contributor. Gotcha. And I guess I'll, I'll go with my hot take then. Uh, my hot take, I have that three different Texas Longhorns on the defense have at least five sacks. I think Kwiatkowski finds some way to get a pass rush. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and throw in there. I think Alfred Collins is one of those three, which means you only need to find a way to get two other guys really involved. I think Collins is going to be insanely disruptive uh in in multiple ways this season in the in the interior of that defensive line and i think guys like ray thornton and ben davis and ovia gofu and hell even demarvion overshone have a chance to be disruptive even in the backfield so uh we might not have one guy who's quite as much of a a potential game breaker like um joseph osai was last year but I think we'll be able to spread that production out and have three guys who are decently productive. And in the case of an interior defensive lineman like Alfred Collins, a very productive year uh, from him to get five sacks from an interior position. Well, I will say your hot take is many degrees hotter than mine. <laughs> mine, I don't even think is is boiling. It's maybe room temp compared to yours. Uh Joseph Osai had five and a half sacks last year, so finding three Osais will be really interesting. See, Josh, who <laughs> can play this game? If you're going to fact check me on Jake Major's weight, I can pull up Osai's hey, Then it, ma- it makes the, the heat of my, of my uh, prediction even more impressive. And admittedly, Osai only had a handful of games to do it in. He didn't, didn't get to play his bowl game, didn't get to didn't play in as many games mm-hmm. as they'll have this year. You have okay. extra games this season to fluff okay. some of those I mean, stats you're a right. bit. You're right. Uh, yeah, it'll... We didn't talk that much about the defense whenever we were going through our position breakdown because I think there's a lot more just up in the air, like who's a cornerback and who's a safety. Like There's a lot of swapping going around. Um, but it, it'll be... I think watching those linebacker spots and the defensive end spots will be really interesting and you know kind of relevant for your hot take there because i don't know if ov is going to be playing on the ball off the ball and also we don't even know how quick cassie's going to deploy his fronts so hey i'm rooting for you i'm hoping 
All right. So what's your what's your national award? Do you think any players go for national awards? Yeah. So I, yeah. So I think that the offensive line gets nominated or is a finalist for the Joe Moore Award, which is the award for the best offensive line in college football. Last year, Alabama won it. Kyle Flood, um, and so I think that for a couple reasons here. Um, in the spring, I and even at the end of last season. Um, I have been saying that I wasn't as high as on the offensive line as a lot of people. And in some ways I still think that's true on an individual level. Like I'm not as high on majors or Carrick or some of the unknowns. Um, but I have come around to the fact that we actually have a lot of guys returning with significant starting experience. Um, and then also the, the Bijan effect is where I'm really, that's really where this is coming from. I think the Bijan effect combined with, Rashawn Johnson and Keelan Robinson. I think all those guys will have nice stats this year. And I think that they will be deployed creatively. Like Keelan Robinson, I could see having as many receiving yards as rushing yards, but then it's still easy to say, hey, Texas running back, their third running back had 600 total yards this year. Um, So all that to say that I think that once you look at the stats and performance of our run game, um, combined with the pedigree of Sark and Kyle Flood, um, I could see our offensive line being good enough to build off of that to make it as a finalist. I like that one. I think similarly in that a little bit hot, just based on sort of the, the perception that would go along with it and sort of tied to the being a finalist for the best offensive line. Uh, Bijan Robinson, Heisman finalist. I think he gets, I'm predicting he gets invited to New York. Uh, I don't know that he'd be necessarily in the top three, but if five guys go, I think B. John Robinson makes a good case for being one of those five. Uh, and I think he becomes the fourth Texas Longhorn to win the Doak Walker Award, joining Ricky Williams, joining Cedric Benson, Deontay Foreman. And that would be real great um, going into 2022, possible year in the SEC. You give B. John a Doak Walker Award, a new conference, time to shine could be lining up well for a Heisman run, a true Heisman run in 2022. So do you think Spencer Rattler will be there with him? I think Rattler will be there because I, like as much as I hate him, Lincoln Riley is by far the best offensive play caller in college football. He is the best at designing his offense to make all of his guys look really good. Um, I mean, didn't Jalen Hurts manage to get to New York with <laughs> Lincoln Riley's tutelage, and he was not yeah. really that good. Hey, that's think... second round pick Jalen Hurts. Okay, put some right. respect I... on his name. I'm not. I'm putting no respect on the Eagles' name <laughs> rather than on Jalen Hurts. But I mean that that just emphasizes how good Lincoln Riley is at getting production out of guys who aren't necessarily that good. And I think Spencer Rattler has a lot more true QB talent compared to Jalen Hurts. So I think that lends itself well to putting up crazy video game numbers, regardless of whether or not I'm a real believer in Spencer Rattler as a quarterback that could thrive anywhere but at Oklahoma. Okay. I was just wondering to what level your disbelief in Spencer extended. So, Yeah, closer closer to Jalen Hurts than to Baker Mayfield. How about that? Hmm. Now there's, there's a hot take. It's not quite as hot as... Uh, <laughs> your other hot take but um but yeah i i mean i'm down with a Bijan doke walker prediction i will say the only the, the thing that gives me pause is that there are a lot of good running backs in college football this year um like i've seen a lot of people ranking them and then like Bijan is like 
barely top five or something. And I'm like, well, you know, first I'm mad. I'm like, Bijan is so good. They clearly didn't watch him. They, they didn't watch his stiff arm against K-State or when he, you know, broke the entire Colorado defense. But there's just a lot of guys that are really good at that position. Yep, Absolutely. Well, college football is almost back, and so are the Texas Longhorns. So thank you for listening to our season preview for the upcoming season. Make sure you follow us on Twitter and Instagram at, at the FSS Podcast. Make sure you follow the Hornscast channel on whichever podcast listening platform you're tuning in from. Make sure to leave us a review or a star rating or whatever. Give us some feedback. Uh, we're going to ignore all of the criticism, internalize only the compliments. So if you want to be highlighted as someone who's really important to us tell us good things and not anything negative uh once the season kicks off make sure you leave us a voicemail on the fire steve sarkeesian hot take line 512-677-4578 you could be featured on an upcoming episode uh we'll we'll play your voicemail your voice will be heard and we'll talk about what you said so i think that's pretty interesting that's one of our favorite things to do we haven't gotten anything admittedly through the uh we, we haven't gotten anything through um the off season here but once we're into the season i think we'll pick back that back up but noah do you have anything one last thing for the yeah people? so i was well i was looking at our doc here that we kind of use as a guide and i'm i'm having trouble finding i thought we i think we forgot something i'm having trouble finding can you because it has a schedule can you show me a loss I, I cannot show you a loss. No okay, losses cool. anywhere that cool, I can cool, show cool. you. All right. All gas, no breaks, baby. All gas, no breaks. But one last time, thanks for listening. We will see you on the next one. Likely going to be the preview right before that Louisiana game. We hope to see you September 4th at DKR. If you see one of us, do the secret handshake that we have talked about at the end of every single one of our last 10 episodes. Uh, if, so if you didn't know about that, make sure you scroll all the way back and definitely listen. It's It's in there if you know what you're listening for. Uh, but we'll hook you up with some cool podcast stickers if you do come find us that way. We're not going to be wearing anything that makes it obvious. You just have to know in your heart that it's us. Um, oh, my God. Now we're going to have a bunch of people it. walking up to not just us, but walking up to just random people, giving them like a ton of different variations of secret handshakes. Somebody's going to try to give it to me, and I'm going to have no idea what they're... <laughs> yeah, if you walk up to Will Bazer and you're an asshole to him, and I am within earshot, I will give you a sticker for that. How about that? That's that's the other side effect because Will Bazer's face is relatively public. You and I, not that we hide our Twitter profiles, but we don't exactly push our personal profiles on here, um, aren't going to be nearly as recognizable for the people. But until that time, hook them. Hook them.